From the Balboa Island Clubhouse in Newport Beach, California, and on location, this is It's All Good Newport Beach, where you'll hear one-of-a-kind interviews with extraordinary people, executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders, showcasing why it's all good. Hosted by Tom Dior. Today, we're uh, we're honored and really excited to be joined by Keith DeGreen, attorney and certified financial planner. Keith is a uh, dynamic, I love this word, multifaceted and very interesting guy. Now, after a long and varied career and in his second, second failed retirement, Keith is host of the exciting new podcast, As I See It. Keith, really honored and excited as uh, we talked about to have you on the show. Thank you for being, letting me in your your place. Thank Tom, you. Tom, the honor is mine. It's been an honor to work with you, with Eris, and the entire Podfather team. Uh, you guys do tremendous work. And uh, Thank you. you've been holding my hand now since I think February, March of uh, the past year. We la- finally launched on August 1 our, our podcast and website at degreen.com. And uh, it's a pretty exciting time for us. Very exciting time. Keith, you talked about you, you failed retirement twice yeah how do you fail twice okay yeah i think some people are are built for just continuing to be active i sold my first investment advisory firm and we're based in phoenix and i sold my first investment advisory firm in 2006 and late 2006 and i thought i was going to retire so i bought a boat and sailed it across the pacific Uh, by the time i got back we were ready to, um, I, I, you know, I just wasn't ready to stop. I'll tell you a quick story. My second youngest son, Sam, at that time, now he was quite young, and he would bring his friend. One day he brought his friends over, and he pointed at me. Now, I had just sold my company, right? And I was looking pretty good financially. I'm sitting at home. He says, that's my dad. He's unemployed. <laughs> I thought, so I just thought, you know, I'm not setting a really great example for my sons. Um, and I was at the time in my, I guess, my late 50s or so. And so I started another firm. And this time we reincarnated ourselves as an investment advisor, but as a fee-only investment advisor. And we actually have led the parade, or back then we did, lead the parade on exchange-traded fund investing. And we have a show coming up on that topic uh, on our podcast uh, here in the very near future. Uh, Exchange-traded fund investing, and this was back in, uh, we launched in January of 2010. Uh, and that was before ETFs were even cool. There were a lot of folks who still didn't know anything about them. And now they've become the country's most popular investment vehicle by far. Uh, and they're, they're phenomenally uh effective for uh, people that want to diversify automatically and not uh, sweat bullets over the uh, trials and tribulations of individual companies and so on. So in any event, we we launched that. We uh, had a great uh, deal of success. Throughout this entire period, I was hosting a radio show on uh, News Talk 550 KFYI in Phoenix. In fact, we were on that. We did that show for 34 years. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And obviously, I got to know the community. The community got to know me. I was active in politics throughout that time. And in in 2021, late 2021, uh, we sold the firm 
degree in capital management to Allworth Financial. It took me about 14 months to extricate myself after that. And in January of this year, 2023, I retired from the investment advisory business. It took about 60 days for me to decide I needed to do something else. And I was reaching out to you guys. And fortunately, you have been guardian angels helping me get started. And I'm excited about it. It's just fun. It's just fun. It gives me an opportunity to opine on politics, uh, sure, on finance, also perhaps to demonstrate a more active lifestyle because I uh, bought a boat, another one. Uh, it's a 44-foot Bally catamaran, and it's cool. It's a really cool boat. And our shows, all of which so far have been videos, not, not just voice, but uh, video shows, are really interesting to watch. We have three different locations right now that we're broadcasting from. One is right here in our home in Newport Beach. Uh, we have kind of a makeshift little studio there. We have a makeshift studio in my den at Paradise Valley, Arizona, at our home there. And now also from aboard The Relentless, that's the name of the boat, The Relentless, where as we speak, it is heading down on August 7 to and Sonata for six months. That is its purgatory, its tax purgatory for six months. Uh, it's, it's, that's a long story. Sure. We don't need to go there, but we're, we're obeying the law and doing what we need to do to help minimize some taxes on the boat. The Relentless. Yes. Can you share with your audience today why you named it The Relentless? The, uh, when my oldest son was just starting out out of college, he interviewed for a job, and after the interview, he wasn't real enthusiastic about how well he had done. So he called me, and he said, Dad, the man asked me for three words that best describe me. This was a sales position, incidentally, and he had given him three words. And I said, son, call him back. Call the guy back and tell him that the three words that best describe you are Relentless, relentless, and relentless. He did. He got the job. He's been phenomenally successful in that industry. And um, it's kind of cool. So it's been a kind of a family mantra. Be relentless. Segway that into, if you can go back as far as you can, into your life. Obviously, at least my, my uh, experience with you is there's a relentlessness. But there's a lightness, too. How would you, am I wrong or, or, or it, uh, repeat the question about being relentless? Oh, that, that's, that's yeah, something well, I, that's, that's kind I of an essence part, of you. I think it's, I, I, for me, it's part yes. of staying alive. I have okay. always been a, a serial entrepreneur and it's very interesting that being a good serial entrepreneur is often at odds with fundamentals of wealth management because as a young person starting out, you should be setting aside a cash reserve. You should be paying off all your credit cards. You should be budgeting. But as I was coming up, my idea of budgeting was to go make one more sale. I, th that was, oh, I'm running low on money. I better sell something. Now, I was practicing law. I was uh, involved in a whole bunch of different things. Uh, but I've always been essentially a salesperson. And I say that without any shame or remorse whatsoever. Uh, nothing happens till somebody sells something. So in any event, um, it has always for me been reaching for the next thing. 
And if you're an entrepreneur, what's so interesting is that at a time when you should be paying off your credit cards and not incurring debt, you start a business, you're maxing out your credit cards, you're borrowing money, you're doing whatever you have to to make tomorrow's payroll because it takes time to get things started. And yet, that is where, hopefully, in America, reward follows risk uh, if you apply yourself. I've always believed that in America, one of the greatest rights that we have is the right to fail. We try hard, we do something, we fail at it, we pick ourselves up, we try again, we fail at it. We pick ourselves up, we try again, we fail at it. Sometimes big failures, sometimes small failures, and get frustrating. And that happens over and over and over again. Fail, pick yourself up, try again. And then one day you look over your shoulder and you realize how much distance you put between yourself and the person who never tried at all. I shouldn't be speechless, but I am. That right to fail. Yeah. What is your thought on if you actually do that on purpose that you go, I'm going to fail or I'm going to, I'm going to go for a no, basically. Well, I'll tell you a story. In 1988, as a brash young man, I ran for and became the Republican candidate for United States Senate in Arizona. And we damn near won. <laughs> but I go going into it, I thought, this is really going to be a long shot. No matter how well I speak, no matter how lovable I am, regardless, uh, I'm never going to outraise my two-term incumbent opponent, and it's going to be a real uphill slog. Well, it turned out we were the closest race in the country that year against a Democrat incumbent. But I did manage to parlay my youth and inexperience into a defeat. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, and so I lost. And in fact, one other spin on that, I also went broke in the process. Uh, one year after I was sitting one-on-one -on -one with Ronald Reagan across the Resolute desk in the Oval Office, I was standing before a bankruptcy judge having lost everything during the campaign. Uh, you pick yourself up. I had a wonderful relationship with some of the people at that radio station, KFYI. Uh, the fellow who was the program chairman back then was Barry Young. And he said, you want to do a finance show? I said, hell yes. I said, if you don't mind me, you know, if you mm -hmm. don't mind a bankrupt financial planner giving advice, I'd be happy to do that. And he said, tell your story. And I did. And, and after all, 45% of Arizona had voted for me. So uh, you don't need the whole market, you know. Uh, and it turned out very, very well. So for years, I, had a, I was able to combine political commentary, I'm a conservative Republican, with uh, financial advice. And it just, it was fun. I think we helped a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people over to, even if they didn't become clients, uh, I was able to offer some good sound financial planning advice, often with the caveat, do as I say, not as I did. That's terrific. This is uh, the It's All Good Newport Beach podcast. We're talking today with Keith DeGreen, attorney and certified financial planner. For more information, feel free to find, uh, go to his website at uh, degreen.com. That's D-E-G-R-E-E-N.com. Keith, that uh, that right to fail, obviously this is, that's what it is. 
it's a, obviously not just a passion of yours, but an experience of yours. And share with... with now, I haven't always failed. <laughs> For the record, folks, I would like you to know that... I, you, you can also fail at not not winning. I mean, you, you, yeah. <laughs> and not not winning. Uh, th- let me think that through. <laughs> okay. Your show. That's share a Tomism. With, yes, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely yeah. is. <laughs> Your show. Talk about um, As I See It. You know, it's, it's spelled As I See, S-E-A, It. Because many of the episodes will come from aboard the Relentless. Um, and it's, I am a sailing enthusiast. Obviously, I had taken a boat across the Pacific uh, years ago, as I mentioned to you. And before that, I had other boats. And, you know, it's hard to be a sailing enthusiast when you live in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> uh, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you wait for it to rain and you hope the lake fills up for a few days. But I, it's always been a passion of mine. I've always enjoyed it. I've had various kinds of boats, full displacement trawlers and sailboats. And this one is a uh, 44-foot catamaran, as I, as I mentioned, which I think for me is about right. At my advanced age of 74, I uh, anticipate an active retirement. And I hope that what I'm doing on that boat is I go up and down the West Coast of the Americas and have fun doing it. Uh, or park it for a while and broadcast from here in our home in Newport Beach or from our home in in Paradise Valley, I I hope I'm able to illustrate that there is life after retirement and that there's a real benefit to remaining active uh, and being engaged and being engaged. I I look around and I I see folks that feel, feel compelled to fall into a stereotypical retirement where they are not engaged utilizing the experience and the expertise that they have accumulated over the years. And if you, you know, you either use it or lose it and you begin to rust. And I've, I've had that experience coming out of retirement twice. Instantly you become a little rusty and it takes time to get ramped up again. But then when you have a reason to get up in the morning, when you got a project you know you're working on, you have some deadlines, <clears throat> you have great people like Tom DiOro, Dioro or, or uh, Eris uh, Chapacapaca, uh, <laughs> Eris, <laughs> he's our Chikopoulos, yes. Chikopoulos, yeah. Uh, great, fine young man. Or Gary Verhoff, our, our um, webmaster for degreen.com. The, it's just fun. It's fun to be engaged. Uh, I have the opportunity now, as you know, to be interviewing people. I had the opportunity to interview my good friend, David Schweikert. He and I have known each other since I ran for the Senate. And he's now on the Senate, excuse me, the House Ways and Means Committee as a senior Republican member there. And he's just a real smart guy. So he and I went on for two episodes on Medicare and uh, the cost of healthcare in America uh, and how it's going to ruin us unless we deal, uh, deal with it. So in, in any event, the point is, that was fun. That, and I had an excuse to call Dave and say, hey, I need to interview. Okay, you know, fine, great. Uh, and yeah, I, that's fun, but it's not all interviews. It's also given me an opportunity to write. We began our first three podcasts with uh, missives on democratic capitalism. Uh, three different podcasts. And from that, I had the chance to sit down and seriously write then three essays based on those three podcasts. And those essays are also available on the site. So that's fun stuff. Now, it took us, as you know, 
what are we talking about? March, April, May, June, July. Um, it took us five months working together as a team. And that's a great example of entrepreneurism. Guess who didn't make any money during those five months? Guess who spent a lot of money during those five months? Yeah, you're looking at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and Tom kept saying, don't pay me. Don't pay me. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he's actually been great and, um, and patient as well. So the point is, if you believe in yourself and you think you're going to do something worthwhile, go do it. Go fail. Why does this matter to you? Truly? Like, first of all, all I, lo of I love my country. Okay. I, I, I'm preparing for what I hope will be an interview with um, Victor Mark Hansen, Dr. Hansen. And he wrote a magnificent book called The Dying Citizen. And he talks about how the political elite, I call them the PEs, the political elite have tried to segment us into cultural tribes. If you are gay and lesbian, you're in this tribe. If you are Hispanic, you're in this tribe. If you're black, you're this tribe. If you're a woman, you're in this tribe. Rather than the cement that has always bound our nation, which is the aspiration to leave tribalism behind and become part of the much greater good that is represented by being a citizen of the United States. He talks about how the uh, left tries to conflate residency with citizenship. They're not the same there because a citizen is invested in their country. They aspire to the ideal of citizenship. Uh, that's why I always get bent out of shape when I see people uh, disrespect the flag at any level. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I fought in Vietnam. I'm a former Marine. Thank you. I've got the Purple Heart to pr prove it. Uh, and I was very fortunate that I was able to come home and continue my uh, education and, and my life. A lot of fellows I know didn't get that opportunity. But the point is, uh, the, our flag is aspirational. The miracle of America is not that our more perfect union was formed by perfect men. The miracle of America was that it was formed by highly imperfect men. And they set a a set of ground rules for us, that if we stay in those guardrails, separation of powers, respect for law, a sense of community, we can accomplish, as we have accomplished already, incredible things. I just roil at the idea that CRT and some of these other ridiculous notions uh, try to uh, allege that we were created, our nation was created as a method of white people exploiting everybody else. Give me a break. The people that first settled here, after the Native Americans, of course, they were running from horrible systems in Europe. And they wanted something different. And it happened to have coincided with some great philosophers uh, like John Locke and others uh, who were unleashing this idea of democratic capitalism. Uh, it's... Democracy is the wind upon which freedom flies. Capitalism is the nourishment upon which freedom feeds. In your life, without that democratic capitalism, would you have been able to have failed 
and got up again and failed and got up again. I doubt that. I doubt that. There would have either been a, a government subsidy waiting for me and saying, it's okay, you get a participation trophy. Uh, rather than me just taking my lumps and and decide and, and taking responsibility, uh, you know. I, look, Tom, I'm not the richest guy in the world, but I've done very well. And I look around and I and I see people who feel that they are entitled to a measure of success that they have not earned. And it's sad more than aggravating because they're losing their human potential. They didn't get a chance to fail. They didn't, didn't get a chance to try because they knew they could apply for food stamps. They could apply for rent subsidies. They could apply for uh, Obamacare and government-paid health care. Why sweat it? It's like I got some spending money you know, in my pocket. Oh, yeah, and I can get that too from the government. Uh, one of the things we talk about in one of the podcasts is the myth regarding American inequality. Um, Phil Graham, John Early, and I think it's Robert Eklund wrote a great book on that, by that title, The Myth of American Inequality. <clears throat> and, and they explained that after people who make, who work, pay their taxes, and after you add the government benefits that those people who don't work receive, the bottom 20% of American households in terms of income actually wind up with about $3,000 a year more than the next 20%, the working poor. And only about $3,000 a year less than the American middle class, that third quintile of, of income levels. And don't take my word for that. I know that sounds remarkable, but read the book. These guys are serious economists. They know their numbers. And uh, it's highly persuasive what they have to say. That's a shame. That's a shame that people in the working poor category can struggle all year and still wind up behind their next door neighbor who's not working at all. What would you like to see, Keith, with democratic capitalism in your definition? How would you know it's really working well? for a lot of people. When I see more people routinely take pride in their, in their membership as a citizen of the larger cause of the American nation, rather than being preoccupied with their exceptionalism due to what some PE, some progressive elite tells them they should be focused on. When I see people aspire, and I look at what's being taught at colleges these days, uh, and it now in high schools and elementary schools, my God, the, did you, the state of California just announced, I, I don't know all the details here. I'm a huge proponent of school choice, a huge proponent. I've been for many, many years. I think it is the number one civil rights issue of our age, school choice. Um, all the affirmative action in the world can never make up for the fact that if a child does not get a great education, K through 12, they're going to be behind the curve the rest of their lives. You can pass them, you can accept them to a college, you can pass them through, uh, you can make them feel like they, they, they've gotten somewhere, but if they can't effectively read or write, 
or think. And that's, I think, a big problem in our schools right now. I know I'm rambling and in our colleges. Students are not being taught how to think. They're being taught what to think. We're going to touch back on that when we return. This is the It's All Good podcast, Newport Beach. We're talking today with Keith DeGreen, attorney and certified financial planner. Keith, uh, what is a, a charitable organization or organizations you, you that you bet. Really, Hey, a point of, clarifi- like point of clarification. I do have those credentials, but I am not practicing law anymore. I am a recovering attorney. And I, I, nor, nor am I technically an investment advisor anymore, although I have no shortage of opinions <laughs> on that, as you well know. Um, in answer to your question, yeah. look, in my opinion, regardless of where you leave, find a school choice organization and give them money. Find a school choice organization and help them put another child through a better education. It's so sad when you see these hundreds, thousands of families applying for a few slots at a charter school back east, and then the vast majority of these kids from inner city neighborhoods being turned away because there were not enough of them. The, 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 the left being owned, unfortunately, by a uh, teacher's union that has been co-opted by the far left is just a shame. The irony is that school choice... <laughs> This, yep. With school choice, good and great teachers are going to do phenomenally well because schools have to compete with each other. They, have, they would have to publish their performance numbers in the aggregate without singling out kids, of course. But that should go all the way down to the classroom level. Where were the kids when they started the school year or at the start of the semester? Where are they now in that particular in that particular class. Is there an acceptable rate of progress? If there isn't, fire the damn teacher and get somebody good and pay somebody good to get the job done. So good and great teachers, be alert that you're getting sold a bill of goods if they tell you that this is a threat to you, uh, school choice. Schools will be clamoring over themselves to try to find you to help educate their children. So if you happen to live in Arizona, which is where I live, you, you get a whopping tuition tax credit. And I, I'm sorry off the top of my head, I forget what it is, but this is a dollar for dollar tax credit. Uh, if you're married filing jointly, I think it's up to 1400 or 2100 something like that. It's a lot of money. So you could pay that instead of writing a check to the state if you owe the state income taxes. You can send that check to a qualified school choice organization in Arizona and you get a dollar for dollar tax credit. So it just, it, and you might ask, well, how can the state afford to give you a tax credit if they have to educate the kids in the public schools? Do the math. Do the math. It costs, and I'm just using some Arizona numbers now, costs, it costs the state of Arizona about $14,000 a year to put a child through um, the high school grades. It costs private schools about $7,000 a year to put the same child through a superior level of education. Uh, that's on average, of course. You know, they're your hoity-toity private schools that are going to overcharge the parents so they can brag that their child goes to this or that school. But generally speaking, these private schools do a magnificent job for a whole lot less money. So every time the state gives somebody a tax credit for supporting school choice, they are saving about $2 for every $1 that they 
because now they don't have to educate that child for $14,000 a year in the public school system. He's being educated and, and obtaining a superior education somewhere else. So I'll name two uh, school choice organizations. If you happen to live in Arizona, there's Arizona Christian School Tuition Organization. That is known as ACSTO. That's Arizona Christian School Tuition Organization. And I would also mention School Choice Arizona, which is SCA, School Choice Arizona. They're both qualified school choice uh, charities that just do a magnificent job. Uh, Steve Yarborough was one of my guests on our podcasts. Uh, I'm not sure we've posted him up on the website yet, but um, great interview. And he was the former uh, president of the Arizona State Senate, and he's been in the school choice uh, issue, on the school choice issue for 30 years. And he, he and people like him are doing great things. And more and more and more states are empowering parents to choose. That's all. You know, it's not a threat. You don't send money to the building. Let the education dollars follow the child. The parents will sort it out. Do not stop competition at the schoolhouse door. In the world's most competitive economic environment, we stop competition at the schoolhouse door. How dumb is that? Anyway, that's my... Uh, that's my pitch on school choice, and we have a whole episode on that, and I make constant reference to it, to that particular issue uh, throughout much of my commentary, because if you help kids K through 12 get a great education, you're not going to have to bend any rules to help them get into college. They'll be there, and they'll be great students. You won't have to bend any rules to hire them. You won't need a DEI director. Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the, they are, whether in the corporate level or at government level, um, they are the new political commissars of the United States. They are. They are. What business do they have? What, the, a board of directors of a company cannot be trusted to do essentially the right thing most of the time? Will they, will they not want the best possible person in each position, you know, anyway. All right, that's my story and I'm sticking to it, okay? <laughs> yeah, I, was I, I, I understand diversity is important. Yeah. I understand equity is important. No, cancel that. I yeah. withdraw that comment about equity, okay? Equity implies equal results. You don't Say get that equal. Again. Equity implies to me equal results. Bull. The results should follow the reward should follow the results that are produced. And that's merit. That's based on merit. So there you have it. I'm going to go over some of the things. Sure. May I also here. remind people, degreen.com. D-E-G-R-E-E-N.com. I hope they visit, and I hope they enjoy all the podcasts and we have videos of the boat so it's active oh, lifestyle it's, you know it's active retirement lifestyle and it's me commenting on stuff it's just going to be fun i've got here uh aspirational developed by highly imperfect men stay along the guardrails the ability to think and then to choose that yeah. ability to choose yeah. to be a chooser in life right do you believe well obviously uh, you do believe in it, but that you can instill that 
from almost birth that a child has an ability to choose and to think and to show them how to do so. I think we were born for freedom. Think about the physical attributes that the vast majority of people have. We have hands with which to reach. We have legs with, uh, that can carry us as far as we can walk. We have uh, obviously eyes to see with, ears to hear with. These were all. This is our core equipment as a human being, right? We have brains to think, and most importantly, we have minds with which to dream. And add that all up. We were born for freedom. I think you have to work hard to strip that away from a child. Instead of giving them the encouragement, say, go, go make your own decisions. Go make your own mistakes within guardrails. I'm mom and dad, and I am saying, yeah, no, don't jump off a cliff. Don't steal a car. Don't do this. Don't do that. But, you know, get out there and, and get beat playing football. Get out there, and, and you're not going to get a participation trophy. You either win or you lose. That's part of life. It's okay. It's okay. Anyway, I love as the father of five and grandfather oh. of eight, I say that. That's beautiful. What does legacy mean to you? And, and not just personally, but professionally, all, all around. What does it mean to you? I hear you. Uh, look at it this way, in my opinion. Every generation stands on the shoulders of the generation that came before it. Are we providing big enough shoulders for the next generation? Or have we contracted the shoulders upon which they stand. I worry about that. Uh, I grew up in a country where uh, not long after, I was born in 1949, a few years after the end of World War II, uh, patriotism ran very high. Everyone aspired to be that American citizen, that part of that greater good. That didn't mean there were there were awful things going on. There was still discrimination. There, uh, there were lack of opportunities for women. All that. But the, what the beauty of democratic capitalism is that democracy responds to these issues. I think one of the reasons why uh, labor unions have what is it? Only ten percent of American workers belong to a union, and half of them work for the government. Why? It's not because unions are terrible, in my opinion, it's because they accomplished so much over the last hundred years or so. You've got OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health, you've got Social Security, you have Medicare, you have um, 401k plans, all these things that kind of dispel this notion that it's them versus us. When I hear some folks saying, yeah, they're exploiting their workers. Hell, the workers own more of the stock in that company than the executives do in the aggregate uh, because they are participating through their 401k. <laughs> so we're all them. It's not them versus us or we're all us. The other point I would make is uh, when you talk about legacy, this goes to the environment and social conditions. I was always taught growing up uh, early on, we lived in a very, very small East Cleveland apartment, me and my brother and uh, mother and father, two rambunctious boys. And the rule was, always leave your room better than you found it. Isn't that what we're trying to do with our planet? Isn't that what we're trying to do with our society? Leave your room better than you found it.
superb. Keith, what would you like to share that we may not have touched on on your show with your audience today? Sure. I um, want to share how privileged I feel to be able uh, to be working with you, Tom, and with the whole Thank team you. at Podfather. Uh, what, what, how exciting it is at my age to go be doing this kind of stuff and hopefully finding an audience that will kind of keep track of what we're doing and chime in and they can agree or disagree. That's all good. Um, what I'd like folks to know is how much I appreciate them and the opportunity to share uh, my perspectives with them. Excellent. Keith, it's, it's an absolute honor, pleasure, and really fun to have you uh, as our guest today on It's All Good. Thank you, Tom. Great work. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the It's All Good Newport Beach podcast. I'm yours truly, Tom Diarro. Today's guest is Keith DeGreen, attorney and certified financial planner. And after a uh, long and varied career, as well as a second failed at retirement, Keith is host of the exciting new podcast, As I See It, and that's S-E-A, As I See It podcast. For more information and to check out Keith's show and his website at degreen.com. That's D-E-G-R-E-E-N.com, degreen.com. Our chief audio engineer is Eris Chikoplis. Thank you for listening. We hope to see and hear you soon. Bye-bye.